0: It's hard to imagine that 2020 is already over and uh, we have successfully cha- tran- uh, just kind of transitioned from uh, this announcement that happened in March where our, you know, the, the whole country was hit by a pandemic. The CDC and uh, World Health Organization basically announced that the, the pandemic was here and uh, we kind of knew it was there, but then we had to wait for the formal announcement and things started getting shut down and there are a lot of things that happened in 2020 that are just, were all new to us. I mean... There are words that became more prominent in our vocabulary, and things that happened. We're still at the safety-at-home scenario, and of course, in the last 30 days, we've watched the numbers transpire. And of course, I don't—you have to kind of dig beneath the surface to look at some of the numbers because there's probably some double-counting and inaccuracies in numbers. But be that as may, when you consider the last week or so, the the, the incredible increase in rise, the number of positive people who have tested positive for COVID-19, it's a little bit alarming. It's a little bit concerning. Uh, for me, it's a little bit more concerning for the fact, number one, I, you know, I'm concerned for the safety of our church family members and your family members, that none of them get that, and we do pray for that. And secondly, it's concerning to us in terms of how long our area is going to continue to be shut down the way it is and just things of that nature. And, you know, of course, I, I think just I was telling a preacher friend of mine that was watching our service last Sunday. He texted me after the live stream was over, and I said, Preacher, I said, What are you doing watching me preach? I said, You're supposed to be having your own service. What's going on? He said, He said, Brother Fogg, he said, I got COVID 19 this past week here, and I'm really in bad shape here. I had a word of prayer for him and so forth there, but, but uh, you know, we were talking about the numbers. He asked me yesterday about some things, and he said, How are things in your area? I said, Not so good. I said, Between, between Friday and, uh, and Sunday, or yet, no, between Thursday and yesterday, uh, according to the numbers, they said the Bay Area, the number of positive cases increased by 10,000. And if you look at the numbers the last, the last, I think, the last seven days, it increased by about 40,000 here in the Bay Area. That's a, that's a huge number. Granted, there's some probably errors and double counting, but still a huge number of people that have tested positive for that. That's, of course, a problem. And we're not going to get into all this philosophy about whether PCR testing and, you know, and other types of tests, antigen testing, things like that, are accurate and so forth. But what we do know is this that the pandemic's here, vaccines are happening. And it's caused us to read just how we do ministry, and we went from being here one service being pretty full to now we had two, two multiple services we're doing right now and uh, several of our folks that would have normally other come this first hour are probably staying home watching my live stream uh, at 10 o'clock because of concerned for safety. So we've had to transition, we've had to modify. Our primary ministry for our church has been pretty much through live stream and through some of, some of our, our English speaking classes using Zoom as a tool and even with Zoom we're not getting kind of the attendance we'd like to have there and our clubs have had to transition, our teenagers on Friday night, in fact it's, it's just very wanting right now that our teenagers Teenagers have not been able to assemble physically for a teenage meeting since March. Our college department has been able to meet on Saturdays, and our uh, department, our our single career, have been able to meet once a month uh, in the last two or three months here, which we're thankful for. But it's just been... Been very challenging for that, and of course we're very concerned for everyone who's over 65 and has uh, pre- underlying pre-existing health conditions and are greatly at risk. And there, we're just concerned about all those things for people there. So we're just watching for those things. So we just have had to modify, and, and our primary means of ministry has been through streams and so forth. But, in spite of all those things, we're thankful that God has blessed our church, God has worked through our church. We've, have, we've had a good number of visitors that we've, we've had come, that, that are now watching us on live stream. We've seen a good number of people saved who are part of that. Uh, we're seeing the Lord open doors in other states and in other countries in ways that we would not have imagined that now we're just kind of working through that, through that angle there. Uh, we're seeing God open doors through other means and people are a little bit more centered to the gospel. so you know, for all that being said, we're just asking God to just work through our church. And, of course, we're trying to minister the best we can through all these things and realizing we have these, these challenges here. Now, look at chapter 11 with me, First Samuel, because the pastor we're going to look at kind of to me, and I was reading this in my Bible reading several weeks, maybe several months ago. And just a lot of thoughts jumped in my mind as I was kind of reading through 1 Samuel again. one of my favorite books I like to read. And I was reading through and just a bunch of thoughts came jumping out at me. And I believe there's some things I'm going to tell you about this morning that parallel with our condition here, our situation. I think there's a lot of things that parallel with what's going on in our world, in our nation, in our Bay Area that, that comes here, but also gives us God's remedy, God's idea for this. I want you to notice by background first before I get into some things. Saul is the king of Israel, First Samuel 11. Saul is the king of Israel. He's the first king of Israel. He's in his first year of his reign. Saul is is just now facing, in chapter 11, his first major, his first major challenge, his very first major decision making and it has to do with the Ammonites coming and uh, setting up camp against the the men of Jabesh Gilead and the men of Benjamin of course and of of which Saul was of that tribe. They had a fondness in their heart for the people of Jabesh Gilead Uh, and I'll talk about that a little bit later on but anyway uh, Saul made a defense, he led Israel to a defense against the Ammonites here. It was a very successful defense that God blessed. As we look at the verses we read, beginning verses 12 to 15, they're celebrating the occasion that they had this great victory, and as we'll see in a minute, it had a unifying effect on the whole nation. This victory had a unifying effect, and so they got together there. And so Samuel, Samuel seizing upon the moment there, uh, there, there was some insurrection in the kingdom, and uh, they said, well, there were some people, they called them the men of Belial, that were not necessarily, they were, not really, they were skeptical of Saul being king, and back in a previous chapter they said, well, you know what, we're not really sure we want to follow him. And so some of the men who were forced Saul said, okay, he's proven himself. They've beaten the Ammonites. We ought to take those people who are guilty of insurrection, and we ought to put them to death. And Saul said, no, no man's life shall be put to death. Now, just a side thought, I wish Saul had kept that thought and that attitude during the remainder of his, of his monarchy, but he didn't. But at this one time, he said in verse 13, there shall not a man be put to death this day. Well, Samuel's there because Samuel's the man of God. Samuel's the prophet in that case. Samuel was the last of the judges. The period of the judges would end with, with, with Samuel. So, to understand the book of Judges, you have to keep reading through 1 Samuel a little bit until Samuel dies in chapter 25. Samuel's not just a judge. Samuel's the high priest. He's not just a high priest. He's a prophet, but he's not king. No man could be prophet, priest, and king except for Jesus Christ. Amen? And so you look at the scriptures here. You have the king who's Saul. You have, you have Samuel who's a prophet. And he's a priest. And as the man of God is the spiritual advisor of the nation, Samuel gets up and he says, Okay, now... We have a great victory here. So he seized upon the moment. He didn't ask Saul for his opinion because this was something that was of the mind of God. Let me just say, say this. There are things about the Bible that we don't ask the government or some other authority for permission. What is thus saith the Lord is God's word. Amen. The Bible says we must obey God around than man. There's just some things about it. For instance, the, the government doesn't tell the church that it can assemble or not assemble. That's declared by the Word of God. They don't have jurisdiction in that matter. They don't tell us. Come on, give me some amens here." They don't tell us that we cannot preach the Word of God or restrict or censor the Word of God. That is thus saith the Lord. The government has no place in that. Now, I'm not preaching anti-government ministry. I'm just telling you there is no authority that is higher than the authority of God. And we have to understand that. Sometimes we get all nervous and shaken up about new laws or pastors, just reading the other day. All these new laws that have passed in, 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 the, in the state of California are going to affect us and things like that. And I thought, you know, if you just keep reading this thing, you're going to be paranoid and so bothered by that, you won't be able to do anything. You'll be afraid of your own shadow, amen? So I just, you know, i got to remind us today that we have to remind ourselves, there are just some things God says, this is what it is, thus saith the Lord, and we have to follow through with that. Well, Samuel got up He would Saul Saul for permission. He said, look, he looked at the people there because the nation was assembled there. It was a unifying moment. Everybody was happy. He said, come on, come. Let us renew the kingdom at Gilgal. Now we have to think for just a minute. Saul, you look at chapter 10, verse 26, Saul was from Gibeah. He was a Benjamite. Most of the Benjamites, as we get this place in time, a good number of them lived in Gibeah. Now, not all of them, but a good number of them. There were more Benjamites that lived in Gibeah than anywhere else. Because Saul was from Gibeah, we read in chapter ten, verse twenty-six, that Saul was coming out of the fields of Gibeah, and we read that again in chapter eleven, that that's where his home was, that's where he made his home. And as far as the king was concerned, as far as Saul was concerned, he wanted the kingdom to be ruled at Gibeah because that's where his home was at, that's where his family was at. But 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 Samuel said, Samuel said, no, come, let us renew the kingdom at Gilgal. Now we have to ask the question, why Gilgal? Not Gibeah. Why Gilgal? Not Gibeah. Why didn't we stay at Gibeah? Thus, king is from Gibeah. Why don't we stay at Gi- Gibeah? But Samuel said, come, let us renew the kingdom at Gilgal." Now I want you to see some things this morning. I'm going to build it up and tell you what, what this is all about. Number one, I want us to go back and understand why Gibeah. Why did he say not Gibeah? What was wrong with Gibeah? I want you to notice, first of all, in our, in our study this morning, I want you to notice Gibeah had a corrupted past. We have to go back and understand what was going on in Saul's heart, Samuel's heart about Gibeah. It may not have bothered Saul, but it was bothersome to Samuel. We have to go back, and if you want to write this down, I want you to write down Judges 19. And 20 and 21. Three chapters of Judges. Now, I don't have time to read it this morning. But I'm going to take you back and give you the background of Gibeah. The corrupted past of Gibeah included lawlessness. There was lawlessness. Now, what was the story there? Okay? Now, the theme in the book of Judges is this. That every man did that which was right in his own eyes. So, in other words, if it looked right to me, I did it. It didn't matter what God said about it. If it looked right to me, that's what I did. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. That's not a good thing. And so, we get to chapter 19. We have the story there about a man a man who was a Levite, he was a man of God, at least by title, he lived in Ephraim. This man had a concubine, okay? And he and his concubine, his servant, were making a journey. His concubine got uh, messed up and cheated on him. And he, went, he had heart for her. And she went back down to Bethlehem, Judah, where she lived. And uh, where her family was, he went down to get her. And her father tried to detain him from going back. He wanted to stay there. And uh, the, the Levites said, no, I've got to get back to Ephraim. I've got to, get back to, I've got to get back to the place where the house of God is at. And I've got to get back there and so forth. So finally, after several days... He loads up his stuff on his donkeys. He takes his, he takes his concubine, and he takes his servant to make their journey. Well, nightfall comes. Nightfall comes. The servant says, well, uh, you know what? Uh, the city of Jebus, which is Jerusalem, is nearby. Let's go to Jebus. But the, but the, the man, the, the, this man, the Levite, said, No, you know, Jebus is under a different control. That's really not an control It had not come under the control of the Jews. The Israelites at that time it was still under pagan control. They were known as the Jebusites at that time. And so he said, There's a city a little bit closer by, and it's a city where there, we have some kinfolk there. We have some kinsmen there. It's called Gibeah. Now, Gibeah... Gibeah was a little bit, little bit farther away, but he said, let's go to Gibeah. We'll go there, and hopefully we'll find some, someone to host us and give lodging. And he went there. They got in the city, and they were not met with welcome arms. Just basically, people were just kind of cold to them. And so, as we read Judges 19, we read about this Levi, his servant, and the concubine. They're just kind of standing there in the middle of the street. And I want you to imagine just being in the middle of a major street somewhere. Just imagine being in New York City and being in Times Square there, and you're just kind of stuck there, and or downtown San Francisco somewhere on Market Street, and, and and you expect people that are, they would recognize that you are Jewish, but they don't, they don't respond to you. Nobody's offering hospitality. Because the thing is, if you were visiting into another city, people were expected to extend hospitality. They were to say, well, what are you doing here? Where are you from? Uh, can we offer you a meal? Uh, can you get, do you have a place to lodge? So like that. And none of that happened. Well, the Bible tells in Judges 19 that this Levite, his concubine, his servant, they just kind of literally just sit down in the middle of the street there. And you can't think of a street in terms of like our streets. It's just the middle of the town. They're just kind of sitting there, just thinking, okay, what are we going to do? I guess we're going to camp out here. And the Bible says an old man was coming through. Now, this old man was not not a Benjamite. This old man was also from Ephraim. This old man lived there. He worked the fields. He was coming in. And the Bible says this old man came. He saw this man there. And the Bible describes it this way. He saw this wayfaring man. And a wayfaring, the word wayfaring talks about somebody who's not where they're supposed to be. Their journey. they have journeyed somewhere. They're far from where they ought to be. Now, when we use it in a spiritual vernacular, wayfaring is not a good description. It means you're far from where God wants you to be. And so this man saw this, this Levite there, and so they struck, he struck up a conversation with them. He found out this man was a Levite. This was his so-called, his, you know, his spouse or concubine, the servant. He said, listen, uh, he said, you should not stay here in the street. He said, listen, you come here in my home. I'll lodge you. And the Levite said, hey, you don't need to. He said, listen, I've got food for, we've got enough food for ourselves and for our animals. He said, no, 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 no. You come to my house. I'll lodge you. I'll feed you. I'll take care of you. Do not stay in the street. Now, the man knew enough. The old man knew enough about the city that it wasn't a wise place, wasn't a wise thing for him to do, that man to stay there. So the Levite accepts the invitation and he brings his concubine and his servant with him. From this point on, we hear nothing about the servant. Nothing said about the servant. The servant goes, goes quiet on us. They go inside, and the Bible describes they're having a meal, they're having a good time, they're rejoicing, and, they're, and it's dark now, and there's a pounding at the man's door. Remember, the old man, it's the old man's house. There's a pounding at the old man's house, and it happens to be men of the city. And There's a description of these men, they're called men of Belial. Now, Belial is another name for, for, uh, for the devil. It's basically meaning the devil and so forth there. And so, they're knocking at the door, and uh, the man says, and it wasn't like, you know, like this. It was... They said, Open the door, they said, Oh man, we know that somebody's with you and we want you to give that man to us. Now, I just to tell you this and I'm trying to just say in the correct way, but these 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 men of Belial, they were very perverted men. They were what we would call lawless men, they were not good men, they were very wicked men. And they wanted that Levite to come out, they saw him in the street, and their thought was, When nightfall comes, we're gonna attack this man and we're gonna sexually abuse him. That's what they basically had in mind. They were gonna sexually abuse this man. And so they looked at him, and the, the old man knew what they were up to, and he said, no, no, no. And he said, no, 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 my brethren. Now, that was a mistake right there, but anyway, he said, no, 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 my brethren. Do not sow. He said, listen, I have a daughter here that, that I, you can take my daughter and the concubine. And, and again, that's a whole different sermon to itself. He said, you can take them and do what you want. Believe this man alone shouldn't do such a thing. But they kept pounding the door. They said, listen, if you don't give that man to us, we're going to do take him and take you and do worse to you than you could ever imagine. Well, the Levi finally gets up. He takes his concubine. Doesn't even speak to her. He opens the door and throws his concubine out the door. But literally, that's what he does. He puts her out the door, and those men—again, their their minds are twisted, they're perverted, they're deviant, they're just—they're reprobate. I mean, I could just have a lot of words I could describe them. They're wicked, sinful men. I mean, even to describe this just makes me makes me a little embarrassed right now. And uh, that, but it's recorded in the Bible just to how evil the hearts of these men were. And the Bible describes it this way that they basically they abused and assaulted this woman all night long. They basically raped her. She was gang raped for the entire night. Now, this is in the Bible, this is just how wicked men's heart is. They, they, they assaulted her until the Bible says until the sun came up. So you can imagine most people went to sleep early in the evening because there really wasn't a lot to do. And they didn't have, you know, they basically used candle lights and like that. And most people back in those days probably went to sleep not later than 8 or 9 o'clock at night. And so you can imagine all night long this is going on. And if sunrise came at about 5.30 in the morning, you can imagine that was a brutal, brutal evening. The woman somehow, somehow made her way back to the home of that old man. But as she got there, the Bible says she collapsed. And the last thing you read about her is that her hands were on the threshold. And her hands are on the threshold. And so the, as the morning rises, the Levite is up early. And uh, you don't see the Levite doing anything to defend her. He just throws her out there says, okay, I'm going to protect my hide. I'm not going to worry about her. And he opens the door. He sees her lying there. Now, she's in a mess. I mean, she's, you just can imagine she's in a complete mess. Her hands are spread out. She's on the threshold. She's not moving. You can tell there's no movement. There's no life in this woman. This is going on. He says, up, you know, and just in a heartless way, he says, come up, woman, get up. No response. Come up, woman, get up. And I imagine he probably just shrugged her a little bit there. And he noticed there's no movement. So he packs up his stuff, gets his servant. Again, no no mention about the servant. The servant's in the background. He picks his his concubine up, puts her on top of his donkey, and they ride off there. Now I want you to notice something here. Gibeah... Gibeah is noted for the lawlessness of that occasion. That deed was never, never forgotten. And I'll talk about it in just a minute. In fact, it was never forgotten to the point where the Bible makes mention of that later on in the book of Hosea. These men did something that was very bad. They were lawless. They, we see the sinful, unrestrained character of these men uh, These men in the city of Gibeon. These were Benjamites, if you would. These were, these were the ancestors of King Saul and his father, Kish. In fact, his, father, his great-great-grandfather, Kish, if you would, those, those men there, they may have been alive when this thing happened there. But we see the situation. It was extreme of the wickedness of Gibeah. I, I heard a message many years ago of a preacher... ...who preached a message entitled, why isn't anybody calling, uh, calling out rape on this? Why isn't anybody shouting rape about the situation? I mean, it was a very, very terrible situation. So Gibeah, if you can imagine, in Samuel's mind, who was a holy man of God... ...Gibeah had a history of lawlessness. But not only does the past reflect their lawlessness, but it gets even more more murky there. We not only see the lawlessness, we see losses. Well, this man takes his concubine, he takes her, puts her on his donkey, he goes back home... And he gets over to the city of Mizpah. There at Mizpah, that wasn't his home, but he went to Mizpah. There he takes the concubine. If you can imagine, this is very, just very, very brutal. He takes her body, her corpse, and divides it into twelve pieces. He probably took her limbs and divided into twelve pieces, and he sent it out to all the twelve, to, to throughout the twelve tribes of Israel, to where the, headquarters, the different places there. Well, you can imagine as this is going out by, by, by however he sent it, you can imagine it arrived to the town elders that they are just they're just they're looking at this and they said we've never seen anything like this. Who in their right mind would do something so ghastly they would send a body part of someone here and then there's a letter with it. It was the same letter. And You have to imagine, they didn't have photocopy machines or ability to print multiple copies. He hand-wrote this letter out to 12 different leaders to 12 different cities with each body part. He sends it out. He says, this is what happened. I need you to tell me your advice. I need you to tell me your counsel what we're going to do about this situation. Well, you can imagine the tribes of Israel, they're, they're, just, they're just, you know, they're aghast. And they're angry and they're upset. They've said, no, there's never been such an atrocity that has ever happened like this in our nation. And so the Bible describes this way in the early chapters, the early verses of chapter 20 of Judges. It says all the men of war, all the men got together and they came together as men of war. And so they came together. They came to meet with this, this, this man, the Levite. He told the story to them. repeated it. They're like upset. They said, we're going to war. We're going to go to war against the Benjamites. That's just what it is. And they had, they had a large, large army. They had a large, large army. In fact, I believe, if my memory is correct, I think they had as many as 40,000 men of Israel, uh, four, or several hundred thousand men of Israel that, that were there, maybe 400,000 or so, that assembled for this. A three-day battle ensued. A three-day battle ensued. Day number one, zero Benjamite casualties. The Benjamites were prepared for war. In fact, they had seven hundred men that were left handed that could throw a rock with a sling and not Mr. Mark. That was kind of notable, the Bible said. These men were very skilled in throwing the sling. And so you can imagine there was zero casualties among the Benjamites. But among the men of Israel, which had a larger, larger army, forty thousand men of Israel fell in one day. Now, when we get reports of, you know, we have a fallen soldier or two and uh, several here in Afghanistan or somewhere like that, I mean, that breaks our heart we hear things like that. We hear about a hundred dying in, in, in a, in a massive casualty. That breaks our heart. But can you imagine how heartbroken Israel was 40,000 of their men died in one day. They went back to prayer to God again. They said, God, should we go back to war? God said, you can go to war. But they didn't ask. Their prayer wasn't complete. That's a whole different message there. And so they go back to war again. And so, again, there are more people that kill. So, excuse me, on two, over two days, there are 40,000 casualties. Well, the third day, for the third day, they're, they're, now they go back at the end of the second day and say, okay, God, what do you want us to do? And this time we see their hearts a little bit different. And they asked this question. In fact, they asked they ask Phineas to represent them in their prayer. They said, should we go to war or should we not? And that's what they should have asked in the beginning, but they did not. They wanted to do their own thing. They were driven by the wrath of man, not by the mercies of God. And they said, So should we, should we, go, to, should we go to war or should we not? And God says, This time you can go to war, and this time I'll give you the victory. And so they, they set up, the, they took the men, they put, them in, they put some leers in weight. The Bible says they, 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 they had some men hiding in different places and that their goal was to draw the men of benjamite out the men of benjamin out of the city and then when they would do that they would they would run for them and as they did the men in, they were liars and liars in weight they would run back to the city set it on fire and kill everybody else that was inside the city and therefore causing the men that went out to go back with their backs turned and the men of israel would go and attack them well needless to say the strategy worked the strategy worked and on that third day if you can listen to this 25,100 men of Benjamin were slain in battle. 25,100. You say, well, what's significant about that? Israel lost 40,000 the first two days. What's significant is that the men of Benjamin only had 26,000 men. They only had 26,000 men. Can you imagine this? An entire tribe of men, an entire generation of men, was almost annihilated, almost completely wiped out, almost put into extinction because of the sin that was committed. In the city of Benjamin. Listen, in the city of Gibeah, there was great losses and casualties. If you just take into account the men of Israel and the men of Benjamin, because of what happened there, it's so ugly. 65,000 men lost their lives. Can you imagine that with me? 65,000 sons, husbands, and fathers lost their lives. When you think about Gibeah, now you can think for just a minute, what's going on in Samuel's mind. He's thinking about the fact, Gibeah has a sordid Terrible past. He says, I know that's where Saul solved from, and I know God forgives, and the tribes are forgiven, but it has a past associated with it that we, want, we need to get rid of. In fact, this past is so so difficult. Listen to what Hosea 9 9 says. Hosea records twice in Hosea 9 9 and Hosea 10 9 some things about Gibeah. In Hosea 9 9, he says, They have deeply Corrupted themselves as in the days of Gibeah. The description of what happened in Gibeah by the men of Gibeah against the concubi- towards the concubine, and then later on, if you would, by, the, by the, the, the war the men of Gibeah and the Benjamites had with the rest of Israel, he calls it, they calls it the corruption, how they corrupt themselves in the days of Gibeah. In Hosea 10.9 he says, O Israel, thou hast sinned from the days of Gibeah. He says, there they stood, the battle in Gibeah against the children of iniquity did not overtake them. He describes that scenario as the days of Gibeah. It had a very, very sordid past associated with it. The past was something they could not bury, they could not put away or hide. Now what's the application of that as we move on? Well, the application of that is we look at 2020. And 2020 is a year we cannot put behind us. We cannot bury it. We cannot hide ourselves. We just have to face the fact it was with us. It would be a year, it would be remembered as a year of shutdowns, closures, setbacks, and failures. For some, it's a year of sadness and remorse, of great loss, of, uh, of just loss of loved ones and things of that nature. For some, it's battling with the fact that they, got, they tested positive and had to deal with COVID-19. For others, they may have lost their job. For others, there may be other difficulties they faced, but it will be remembered as a very, very difficult year. And then yet, for some, for some of us here, for some, spiritually speaking, it was a year of status quo. No progress, no improvements, no gains, just status quo, just same old, same old. For some, it is a year where they have slipped into the comfort chair of complacency, indifference, and apathy. They've just gotten used to saying, you know what, I guess that's the way things are. I haven't been in church for a long time, and it doesn't bother me if I'm not in church. It doesn't bother me that I don't have to pray anymore. It doesn't bother me that I don't have Bible reading anymore. It doesn't bother me that I don't have the pastor pressure me that I've got to show up for Sunday school, or show up for more services and things of that nature. It's just the same old, same old, doing the same thing. And, you know, it just let's just be candid about it for just a minute. You know, if we've just gotten used for almost nine months now that we're just having we have a we have reduced size services and more live stream and and you know last sunday night I was thankful we had our christmas program those live stream brother von was tracking the numbers and we had a large large number of people that watched live stream there but i'll be honest with you it grieved my soul that we couldn't do a live in-person service it grieved my soul that we didn't have our orchestra playing our choir singing it grieved my soul that i couldn't preach to a live audience where i could be there and i was here and there were people who were here that night but it was a pre-recorded service just because of the nature of the beast there. And so we look at these things and we look at 2020. What kind of year was it? It was a year of no progress. It was a year where maybe we slipped into the chair of complacency. It was a year, perhaps, where maybe some became cynical, critical, and decidedly adverse to spiritual things. Just decided, you know what? I've tried prayer. It doesn't work. I've tried reading the Bible. It doesn't work. I've tried going to church and nothing happened. Hey, you know what they say? They say people that get COVID, there are three things they say about them. Number one, when you get COVID, they say you have extreme breathing difficulties. And I, everybody I've talked to has had it. They've had extreme breathing difficulties. In fact, the question you always is how is your breathing? They've had extreme breathing difficulties. The second thing we, we asked them is that, how is your energy level? Everyone who's gotten it, who's gotten, who's had these symptoms, they've described it this way. My preacher friend I just talked to the other day, I asked him yesterday, I said, how are you doing? He said, my energy level is very low. I asked Brother Chapel a couple weeks ago, I said, how are you doing, Brother Chapel?" He said, he said, Brother Fong, he says, you know what, I just, I do something and I get tired really easy, and I've got to lay down. And I try to do something, and I get tired very easy. I have to lay down. So there's there's one thing you got you have problem with your breathing. Secondly, you get exhausted very easily. But the third thing they say about a lot of people is they get into this brain fog. They said that their thinking is not just all the way there. They're a little slower to thinking. Their thought process is down. Hey, can I tell you something? There's a spiritual COVID as well. And the spiritual COVID affects you in a spiritual way. Listen, if you've gone 2020 and the power of God's not been in your life and the breath of heaven's not been upon you and the Holy Spirit's not been working, let me tell you, you've had spiritual COVID. The devil came and took literally the breath of heaven out of your life. He took the breathing away from you and your ability to do things. If your prayer life lessened instead of increased, he took the breath of heaven out of your life. I'm telling you right now, we need God's breath upon our lives. And I'm telling you right now, we come on, somebody help me today. We need the breath of heaven upon our church. We need the breath of heaven upon our service. We cannot have a 2021 like we had 2020. We need a year where God's power and the breath of God is upon our lives. But let me tell you what, not only that, but some have become to the place where they're complacent and lethargic. They're just used to saying, well, that's just the way things have to be, and I guess the staff's going to have to run the church, and we're going to run with this thing and that thing and that and the other, and so we don't have to do, be committed. Less commitment, less involvement. Let me tell you what, you may be exhausted, you may be lacking energy, but I'm going to tell you right now, you need God's power to come back in your life, to give back the energy you need to serve god the energy you need to go on and serve the lord and do something great for him listen you may get into a brain fog and i'll tell you right now if you COVID, if you've got spiritual covid spiritual covid caused you to have a brain fog you're not thinking about the things of god you're not thinking about advancing the kingdom you're not thinking about more prayer you're not thinking about doing more for jesus christ you're just thinking about how am i going to get to the next year and get past staying at home and uh getting past that and getting on with life i'm just saying right now we see this past that they had they had a corrupted past Now we go back to our passage. Go back to chapter 11. 1 Samuel. we got to move on. And we're going to go between there and Joshua 5. Samuel knew about the past. He didn't have to tell the Benjamites. They knew about the past. It was corrupted. It was lawless. There were losses. Israel was still fresh in her mind. The casualties, 65,000 losses. How could you forget that? Samuel said, now, Saul, you live in Gibeah, that's fine, but the kingdom's not going to Gibeah. He said, come, let us renew the kingdom at Gilgal. Now, we know why Gibeah should not be the place, but why Gilgal? Why Gilgal? Well, we go back to Judges chapter 5. Judges chapter 5, we go back to Judges chapter 4, excuse me, Joshua, Jud- Joshua chapter 4. God has led Joshua and the nation of Israel to the Jordan River. The Jordan River is overflowing its banks. It's a, it's a, it's a raging, raging river. It would be a level five if you whitewater wrapped it. I mean it was moving fast. I mean, just it was very treacherous. You could not cross, there's no way you could cross go across it. The snow is melting off the mountains, water is rushing down. God says, You're going to cross that river. And God miraculously parted the waters. The Bible describes this way. God cut off the Jordan rivers. He cut it off. Now the word cut off could also mean kill, put to death. God separated the waters. We read about that in Judges 4. God miraculously opened those waters. Three million Jews went across. Except for Joshua and Caleb, all the men that crossed over, were men that were born in the wilderness. Remember that for just a moment. They were men that were born in the wilderness. All the men that came into the wilderness with Moses, they died in the wilderness because of their failures. They go across the Jordan. The Jordan, as we look at it, was one place on one side on the east side. Now they had to go on the west side. Their stopping point was called Gilgal. Gilgal, as a guy got there, God told Joshua, you take 12 stones. I want you to put those stones down, lay them out, And he says, you lift those stones there, they're a memorial of what I did for you here. So we go to Gilgal, and we see, number one, it represents the power of God. Gilgal, number two, represents a memorial of what God did for his people. Gilgal was the first stopping point because now the children of Israel are going to inherit their land. Now, a spiritual inheritance for us means this. A spiritual inheritance for them meant they would acquire cities and land, And they would have a place to grow their crops. And they would finally have a place of rest because they've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And rest is equated with spiritual growth. And when we talk about rest and inheritance in the Bible, and come back tonight, I'll talk a little more about that tonight. It it basically is associated with spiritual growth, about the reading of God's Word and going from the milk of the Word to the meat of the Word. It's associated with a powerful prayer life and answered prayer. It's associated with victories over trials and rejoicing in the Lord and the power of God in your life and all these good things there. And so God says, listen, you're going to go in the land. He said, Joshua, there's a lot of land you're going to have to conquer, but your first stop is you've got to get across the Jordan. Well, they get across the Jordan, and while they're there, notice the second thing, God tells Joshua while they're there, they've just put the stones down. They just crossed there. The people are just standing there waiting for what God's going to do. And God tells them tells them the second thing. He says, There needs to be a commanded performance. Now God gives them a command. He says, Now Joshua, he says, These men who've come with you from out of the who've been with you, they were all born in the wilderness. They have not been circumcised. Now, for the Jews, circumcision was a, was a sign, if you would, was a sign of the covenant relationship that God gave to Abraham. You can read about that in, over there in Genesis chapter 7. It's a great reading chapter. Genesis chapter 17, he talks about the giving of the circumcision, where it basically would di- differentiate the Jewish men from pagan men, it would differenti- r- differentiate the believers of God from unbelievers. And so, the, but those men, that were, so that's what they were doing for all those years, beginning with Abraham and, and his sons and so forth like that. They all had to be circumcised. By, by giving, by, give, by symbolizing their relationship to God, that their hearts were given to the Lord, they were God's people there, and that God had given this covenant to them, that they would, they would have this great land. So God says, now, listen, you're going to get the land, but before you can get the land, before you can do something next, you've got to follow the, obe- the commandment of God. The commandment of God was that, that he gave in Genesis 17, he says, now you're not perfect yet, he says, you're not complete to where you need to be, he says, all the men need to be circumcised. So he told Joshua, you need to take, make yourselves sharp knives, and with those sharp knives, every one of the men that were born in the wilderness, they have to, go, they have to be circumcised. So there's this command of performance. So all the men were circumcised. They had to rest there for several days until they were healed and so forth like that. So they went through that. Well, while they were there, God tells Joshua this. I'm going to read this to you. He tells Joshua in Joshua chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. He says, and it came to pass when they had done circumcising all the people that they bowed in their places in the camp till they were whole. Listen to what God said in Joshua 5, 9. He says, and the Lord said to Joshua, this day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off of you, wherefore the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day. And so God says, the word, God says, we're going to, this place is already named Gilgal, but I'm going to give it greater significance. Gilgal means this. God explains in Joshua 5, 9. Gilgal means rolled away. Think with me about rolling a stone away. Or think with me about the the stone that that blocked the entrance of the tomb where Jesus was at. The Bible describes they rolled it away. And literally that's all it means. It means to roll something away. And so God says, listen, the reproach of Egypt, the reproach of Egypt, the fact that you were in bondage to sin, the fact that you were slaves for many years, the fact that you own nothing, the fact that you were you were, you were just enslaved by the world. He said, I've rolled that away. He said, listen, you've crossed the Red Sea. The crossing of the Red Sea is a picture of the believer's salvation experience. But the crossing of the Jordan River is a picture of the believer's sanctification. And sanctifying is how we spend the rest of our Christian life. Hey, the moment you get saved, God's goal for you in sanctification is that you and I are conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. We're not to get farther from Jesus. Bless God. We're to get closer to Jesus. Amen? We're to get closer to Him and grow in Him. Now, and we're to... Yield our members as members of righteousness. He's talking about our, our, our body and yielding it to God as members of righteousness. So God is telling him, listen, everything about Gilgal is a good thing. Everything about Gilgal is pointing to your future. It's pointing about good things. But you've got to have this place in, in Gilgal. You've got to have this command and performance. So here's what's going on in Samuel's mind. He says, don't you remember back in the day when Joshua led you here? Then he told Joshua, you need to park here. And he said, Josh, you need to make these sharp knives. And you need to circumcise the men. And after they were healed while they were waiting there, they would celebrate the Passover on that. They're at Gilgal the way they did in the past. They would eat at the old corn of the land, but never again would they eat of the old corn of the land. Never again after that day would they have to depend on manna from heaven because God would take care of their need by giving them their land. He said, there's a new horizon. There's a new future. There's a new land. There's a new place that God's going to give you. He says, no wonder God doesn't want you at Gibeah. God wants you at Gilgal. Do you get it this morning? You understand? Come, let us renew the kingdom at Gilgal. Look at today. I think about those sharp knives and God's Word. The Bible says the Word of God is sharper. It is not like unto. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. God wants us to realize we need to take the sharp knife of His Word, and we need to take His Word and apply it to the hurt and to the sin and to the scars and to the cynicism and to the critical spirit and the bad attitude and maybe the complacency we've had. We need to apply the knife of the Word of God to our hearts to work at it and let it cut in deeply because the Bible says, For the Word of God is quick. That means it's powerful. It's it's alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing. That means it's thrusting through, piercing, the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit. God wants us to take his word and to using his word to apply it so that God's word cuts in deeply into our heart. That God's word shows us what's wrong with our life. That God shows us what we need to improve on. I don't know about you, but next year we need more Bible reading. I feel like we need more Bible reading. I feel like we need more preaching from God's word. I feel like next year we need more of God's word thrust into our... Somebody help. Me here now, come on. We need more of God's word thrust into our heart. We need God to cut away its sin. We need to be in the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We need to make some sharp knives. But listen, today you've got to take the sharp knife of God's word that He's given to you, and you've got to apply it. If you're going to let your Bible sit on a coffee table and sit on a shelf somewhere, and you're going to put it away, not touching it for 365 days, you know what's going to happen? Your heart gets colder. Your heart gets harder. Your heart doesn't get any softer. We've got to take the word of God. We've got to apply it every day. We've got to start cutting away and cutting away. Now, I don't know about you, but winter time when I'm when i helping my wife, Wash the dishes, or I do something like that, and I get my hands in the water. I notice my my fingers start to break up a little more, and you, you know the broken skin and stuff like that. I can't stand it when it starts breaking up. So immediately, when I start getting that rough skin there, I take a fingernail clipper and I start cutting away because I don't want it bothering me. And I start cutting away. With it. That's what God wants to do with your life. Sometimes sin gets in the way, and if we just get used to our sin. God needs to cut away. Listen, they made the sharp knives there, but not only that, we see they had to cut away. They had to. We have to get God's word to cut away in our life. But we noticed that the power of God got them to the other side. Now you. May you. You may be thinking, Pastor Fong, you don't understand. I'm weak. Pastor Fong, you understand, the difficulties in my life are like that raging Jordan River. And Pastor Fong, you understand, I've got a lot of hurt in my life from the past. And Pastor Fong, you don't understand, I'm disillusioned and I'm disappointed and I've been hurt by this and hurt by that. I understand that, but God understands more than I do how much you've been hurt. So you know what you need? You need God to intervene, and by the power of God, you need Him to part the waters. And you need Him not only to do work on that heart where there's cynicism and a critical spirit and a, maybe perhaps a, just a jaded attitude, and maybe let Him work on that heart and let Him open up that Jordan River. Let the power of God work in your life. Let the breath of God breathe open that Jordan River in your life so you can go across and live that life for Jesus Christ. But not only that, the Bible says as they got there, they laid down those stones as a testimonial of what God did. Can I tell you one of the best remedies for you when you get discouraged, when you get depressed, when you're down, you have a critical spirit? You know what the best things you can do, best exercise you can do? Go out and win some souls to Christ. Go out and tell somebody about Jesus Christ. Take some gospel tracts and give them out. That package you're going to get after tonight, you're going to get a package that's going to have the New Year's to New year's track for the first quarter. You want to take that track. It's double-sided. You want to put as many hands you can, and you want to tell people about Jesus Christ. You want to let people know, yeah, we have a pandemic, and yeah, we have a vaccine, but we've got something better than the vaccine. We've got Jesus Christ. We've got salvation that God can give to you there. I'm just saying right now, we can take that and give that out. And then the Bible says they would no more eat of the old corn. I'm going to tell you what, you need to bury 2020. We're going to 2021. Bury the past. Forget the past with its failures. Forget the past with its weight and sin. Forget the past with its depression. Forget the past with his psychotic medication. Forget the past with all the things that the past says and realize we're going on farther, we're going on somewhere else because Samuel said, come and let us renew the kingdom of Gilgal. The rolling away can also be translated remove. The psalmist said in Psalms 119 verse 22, remove from me reproach and contempt. Rolled away also can mean putting your unreserved faith and trust in God. Next time you read Psalms 37.5, pay attention to what it says here. It says in the King James Version translation, Commit thy works. It says, Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in Him. The word commit many times in the Old Testament uses the same word for rolled away. It means roll your burdens on the Lord. Roll your difficulties on the Lord. Roll that heavy stone in your life upon the Lord. Roll it to God. Commit thy thoughts. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Roll it upon him. We need to God says, I've rolled away the reproach from you. Sometimes we have to understand that we are there's a struggle we have going on every day with our flesh and our spirit. And listen, the Bible says that that the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And so when we think about those knives of the word of God, it puts the death self, It puts the death, the flesh, and it, and it crucifies it there. Roll the way reminds us we cannot start a new year in our power in the same way we ended it. There must be surrender on our part. Just like Israel crossed the Jordan River by God's power, we need God's power to start a new year. Just like Israel had to deal with their past by applying sharp knives to their, to their bodies. Listen, we need to apply the sharp knife of God's word to our soul. And just like Israel needed to roll their burdens and concerns on God, begin. Today, roll your burdens, your concerns, your problems, your trials, your worries, anxieties. Roll it upon God. Commit thy trust unto the Lord. Commit thy way to the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He shall bring it the pass The Bible says. I'm saying to you this morning, we need to go renew the kingdom of Gilgal. He said, "Listen, there needs to be a commander performance. We can't, we can't enter to a new year the same way we ended. We've got to cut it off. We've got to pass over the other side. Realize there's another side that God wants us to go to. So this morning we see a corrupted pass. We see a commander performance. Would you notice one last thing? Go back to chapter 11. Notice this thought here. I'm going to put it all together for you this morning. When Elijah, excuse me, when when Samuel is speaking here, he's speaking to all of the people because all the kingdom was. Remember I mentioned earlier it was a unifying moment. He said, come, let us. That included him. That included the king. That included the soldiers. That included the women and children who stayed behind. He said, look, Gibeah's close, close by, and Gilgal's a little further away, because Gilgal's closer to Jordan River. But he said, let's go to Gilgal. Now, he didn't attack the pass. He didn't attack Gibeah. They already knew about Gibeah. You already know about your past. We don't need to talk about it. Amen? But he said, let's go to Gilgal. Gilgal has good memories. Gilgal is a place of victory. Gilgal is a place of going forward. Amen. Gilgal is a place about the power of God. Gilgal is a place where we forget about, we put aside the failures of yesterday and we go forward and look forward to the victories of tomorrow. Gilgal represents God working. Gilgal represents the captain of the Lord, Jesus Christ, leading us, because that's what we see in Joshua chapter 5. Gilgal represents everything that's positive, proactive, personal, and spiritual for every believer, for every Christian life there. So he says, come, let us renew the kingdom of Gilgal. So let me give you some things, okay? Here's responsibility. We're almost done. David, he said, renew the kingdom. Why did he say renew it? How come he didn't say, let's start the kingdom? He said, no, because Gilgal already had had a wonderful beginning. He says, we're going to park ourselves at Gilgal right there because it reminds us. Now, listen to me just a moment. Samuel was was led by the Holy Spirit. By the way, the Bible says that Samuel let none of the word of God fall to the ground. So he was very cautious and very sensitive to the word of God. He let none of the word fall to the ground. He said, let us renew now, you know what David prayed in Psalms 51, verse 10? Renew a right spirit within me. You know what it says about King Asa? Because his predecessor had knocked down the altars of God, it says, Asa renewed the altar of the Lord. You know, the psalmist prayed in Psalms 103, he said, Lord, I pray that my youth could be renewed like the eagle. He said, Pastor, I'm getting older, I'm getting tired, I'm sick. He says, I, You said, well, I, I just don't have energy before. You know, the psalmist prayed, Lord, help my youth, help me to have the youth, uh, youthfulness that's renewed like the eagle. And so we look at here, and uh, Samuel the prophet said, Come, let us renew the kingdom at Gilgal. Let me say this and I'm done. He wasn't exalting himself, he wasn't pushing his priorities. He said, You know what? It's about the kingdom. Matthew six thirty three tells us, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. God says, Let's renew the kingdom. Make the kingdom the priority. And the Bible says something else here in the last verse there. It says, And there they made Saul king. There. Three times is and there at Gilgal, they did something significant. Look at it. Verse, 12, verse 15. And there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. And there they sacrificed Sacrament Peace Offering. And there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. Let me say this and I'm done. Whatever place the Lord Jesus Christ had in the priority things for you in 2020, I want you to decide for 2021. There, Jesus Christ is king and king alone. Amen? And when we renew Jesus Christ, I'm gonna, he's king. He's king there at Gilgal. You see, they could have glorified their practices and their performances. If their performances were not to be glorified. In fact, just even talking about it, it's just you know, it's it's just you know, you think about it. There's painfulness. But when they did that, there at Gilgal, when they when when Joshua told them what to do, they had to be prompt. They had to be prompt. It was painful. Okay. But they had to they had to do it because God told them to do it. Listen, God wants us. Gilgal was a reminder: obey God and obey God promptly. Do it right away. Don't wait for for tomorrow. Don't don't put it off. Do it right now. And so that was a reminder to them. And so He says, "Come, let's renew the kingdom of Gilgal. Let's renew the kingdom where there's victory. Let's go renew the king. Let's have a. Let's decide that Gilgal this coming year is going to be a year of the Gilgal, the year where there's God's powers in our life, the year when the breath of heaven is back upon us. the year we get back our energy and we get our youth renewed like the eagle, the year in which some some things will change in our life, the. year in which the kingdom is advanced. The year where more witnessing will happen. The year to where we commit to have a daily victorious prayer life. He said, let's renew the kingdom there. And then he said, there they sacrifice sacrifices. Hey, make this coming year a great giving year for you. Make it a year, if you're not tithing pledged the starting this cut today that you'll start tithing. The tithe is one tenth of how what are everything that God blesses you with. One tenth of that. Not the net, but the gross. We decide to participate in it. Participate in the special offerings next year. We're gonna have, I'll talk about it tonight. About we need to take up a special offering next year for our debt reduction. We didn't do it this year, but we need to do that to kind of keep going on working our building program. Uh, we need to take up some things like that. I mean partic- participate in faith promised missions. We're just thankful for good reports we've had this year from missionaries, despite of COVID. Many many souls getting saved there. Let's renew the kingdom there. Okay? Uh, He says here, let's renew the kingdom. He says there, let's make some sacrifice. Then he says, peace offering. Now, wherever you find peace offerings peace offerings were associated with giving thanks and glory to God. The people would eat of those peace offerings. They would give thanks to God there. And so the people rejoiced and they gave thankfulness to God for his victory. Thank God for everything he did for you. Thank God for his mercies. Thank God for his goodness. Thank God that he kept you healthy. Thank God that you're saved. Amen? Thank God that you your family's healthy. Thank God that you're looking forward to entering a new year and that God will give you grace and strength to help in time of need. But let's go renew the kingdom of Gilgal. Let's not stay back in Gibeah. We're not going to stay back in Gibeah which has a bad past. We're not going to stay back in the, the sorrows and the hurts of 2020. We're going to look at 2021 and say 2021 is going to be a year where we're going to Gilgal and there we're going to renew the kingdom. Let's not stay behind Let's go forward for Jesus Christ. Gilgal represents everything that is right about the believer's life, about the spiritual walk that everybody should take. You ought to decide today. I'm encouraging everyone, just like Samuel did, as a church as a whole, come, let us, not just me, not just a few of us, not just a handful, let's all of us, let's every one of us. It has nothing to do with involvement. It has to do with you being an attendee or a member of the church. Let us all renew the kingdom at Gilgal. Let us all go there and make, make a king. And, and decide Jesus is king. Let us go there and renew the kingdom. Let us go there and sacrifice. sacrifice. Let us go there and have peace offering. Let us go there and rejoice. In the Lord, Let's go there. Let's go to the place where there's victory, where there's God's power, where God has had a demonstration of his working in our life. And may maybe tonight, this morning and tonight, that you just make some very strong decisions that you're going to live for the Lord and honor Jesus Christ. Don't go back to Gibeah with his past. Don't go back to Gibeah with his losses. Let's go forward and renew the kingdom at Gilgal. And then this morning, if you're not sure you're saved, I invite you today to come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Christ died for your sins. He's the captain of the Lord's host. The word captain, as I explained on Wednesday night, means also prince. It also means the one who was the author and finisher of our faith. He's the captain of our salvation. He's the one who took your place and died on the cross for your sins. Let us not forget of all that Jesus did for us. Receive him today as your Savior. Decide today when we give the invitation to kneel where you're at or come forward this morning to make a decision. I'm going to help. I'm going to, for the glory of God, I'm going to renew the kingdom at Gilgal. I'm going forward for Jesus Christ and making a difference for him.